0: Greetings. It's February 25th, and this is the One-Year Bible Tour. We are delighted to have you with us on this journey as we make our way through the entire Bible this year, reading daily from both the Old and New Testaments, as well as a daily portion from the Bible's Songbook, the Book of Psalms, and the Book of Proverbs. As they say, a proverb a day will keep all folly away. My name is David McAdam, and it is my pleasure to be your host on this journey and point out highlights and encourage you to make fresh discoveries with each day's readings. Let's start with today's portion in the Old Testament book of Leviticus. This book focuses on God's holiness and the conduct of his priests in the tabernacle, the tent of worship in chapters 1 through 10, the conduct of his covenant people Israel pertaining to the temple of their bodies in chapters 11 to 15, and today we will be making our way into the third section that deals with the realm of their relationships, beginning with chapter 17. But before we do that, we have this important chapter that is lodged between the second and third sections that deals with the Day of Atonement, Yom Kippur, when the High Priest enters the holiest of all of the tabernacle on behalf of his people with the blood of a substitute that provides atonement for the sins of the people. In the New Testament book of Hebrews, in chapters nine and ten of that book we see how this prophetically pictures our high priest Christ Jesus and his perfect sacrifice on our behalf. So let's continue our reading from where we left off yesterday. We'll start with Leviticus chapter 16 verse 29. And it shall be a statute to you forever that in the seventh month, on the tenth day of the month, you shall afflict yourselves and shall do no work, either the native or the stranger, who sojourns among you. For on this day shall atonement be made for you to cleanse you. You shall be clean before the Lord from all your sins. It is a Sabbath of solemn rest to you, and you shall afflict yourselves. It is a statute for ever. And the priest who is anointed and consecrated as priest in his father's place shall make atonement, wearing the holy linen garments. He shall make atonement for the holy sanctuary, and he shall make atonement for the tent of meeting and for the altar, and he shall make atonement for the priests, and for all the people of the assembly. And this shall be a statute forever for you, that atonement may be made for the people of Israel once in the year, because of all their sins. And Aaron did as the Lord commanded Moses. Chapter 17 The Place of Sacrifice And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to Aaron and his sons and to all the people of Israel, and say to them, This is the thing that the Lord has commanded: If any one of the house of Israel kills an ox or a lamb or a goat in the camp, or kills it outside the camp, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it as a gift to the Lord in front of the tabernacle of the Lord, blood guilt shall be imputed to that man: he has shed blood, and that man shall be cut off from among his people. This is to the end that the people of Israel may bring their sacrifices that they sacrifice in the open field, that they may bring them to the Lord, to the priests at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and sacrifice them as sacrifices of peace offerings to the Lord. And the priests shall throw the blood on the altar of the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting, and burn the fat for a pleasing aroma to the Lord. So they shall no more sacrifice their sacrifices to goat demons, after whom they whore, this shall be a statute forever for them throughout their generations. And you shall say to them, Any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, who offers a burnt offering or a sacrifice, and does not bring it to the entrance of the tent of meeting to offer it to the Lord, that man shall be cut off from his people. If any one of the house of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, eats any blood, I will set my face against that person who eats blood and I will cut him off from among his people. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it for you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood that makes atonement by the life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, No person among you shall eat blood, neither shall any stranger who sojourns among you eat blood. Anyone also of the people of Israel, or of the strangers who sojourn among them, Who takes in hunting any beast or bird that may be eaten shall pour out its blood and cover it with earth. For the life of every creature is its blood, its blood is its life. Therefore I have said to the people of Israel, you shall not eat the blood of any creature, for the life of every creature is its blood. Whoever eats it shall be cut off. And every person who eats what dies of itself or what is torn by beasts, whether he is native or a sojourner, shall wash his clothes and bathe himself in water and be unclean until the evening, then he shall be clean. But if he does not wash them or bathe his flesh, he shall bear his iniquity. Chapter 18 And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Speak to the people of Israel, and say to them, I am the Lord your God. You shall not do as they do in the land of Egypt, where you lived, and you shall not do as they do in the land of Canaan, to which I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. You shall follow my rules and keep my statutes and walk in them. I am the Lord your God. You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. None of you shall approach any one of his close relatives to uncovered nakedness. I am the Lord. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father, which is the nakedness of your mother. She is your mother. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife. It is your father's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your sister, your father's daughter or your mother's daughter, whether brought up in the family Or in another home. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your son's daughter or of your daughter's daughter, for their nakedness is your own nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's wife's daughter, brought up in your father's family, since she is your sister. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's sister, she is your father's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your mother's sister, for she is your mother's relative. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your father's brother. That is, you shall not approach his wife. She is your aunt. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your daughter in law. She is your son's wife. You shall not uncover her nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of your brother's wife. It is your brother's nakedness. You shall not uncover the nakedness of a woman and of her daughter. And you shall not take her son's daughter or her daughter's daughter to uncover her nakedness. They are relatives. It is depravity, and you shall not take a woman as a rival wife to her sister, uncovering her nakedness while her sister is alive. You shall not approach a woman to uncover her nakedness when she is in her menstrual uncleanness. You shall not lie sexually with your neighbor's wife, and so make yourself unclean with her. You shall not give any of your children to offer them to Moloch, and so profane the name of your God. I am the Lord." You shall not lie with a male as with a woman. It is an abomination. And you shall not lie with any animal, or so make yourself unclean with it. Neither shall any woman give herself to an animal to lie with it. It is perversion. Do not make yourselves unclean by any of these things. For by all these, the nations I am driving out before you have become unclean, and the land became unclean, so that I punished its iniquity, and the land vomited out its inhabitants. But you shall keep my statutes and my rules, and do none of these abominations, either the native or the stranger who sojourns among you. For the people of the land who were before you did all these abominations, so that the land became unclean. Lest the land vomit you out when you make it unclean, as it vomited out the nation that was before you. For everyone who does any of these abominations, the persons who do them shall be cut off from among their people. So keep my charge never to practice any of these abominable customs that were practiced before you, and never to make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Our reading starts with a command for the annual Yom Kippur celebration in verses 29 to 34. The sacrifices required on Yom Kippur the Day of Atonement, were to be repeated annually. It would be a day when the people of Israel would humble themselves and observe the priest making the atoning sacrifices for the holy sanctuary, the priests, and all the people of the assembly. The chapter concludes with a picture of the high priest's obedience to observe the day and execute the offerings as the Lord commanded Moses. The New Testament book of Hebrews gives us a picture of the obedience of a greater high priest jesus christ fulfilling the requirements of yom kippur with a perfect atoning sacrifice that no longer needs to be repeated in hebrews chapter 7 verse 26 we read for it was fitting for us to have such a high priest holy innocent undefiled separated from sinners and exalted above the heavens who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifices first for his own sins, and then for all the sins of the people, because this he did once for all when he offered up himself. In Hebrews chapter 10 verse 14 we read, For by one offering he has perfected for all time those who are sanctified. There is a remaining prophetic significance to Yom Kippur that has to do with the future of Israel, which we will learn more about when we get to chapter 23. Leviticus 17 deals with the place of sacrifice and the sanctity of the blood. First, let's look at the place of sacrifice. No ox, lamb, or goat could be slaughtered by anyone in Israel unless it was first brought to the entrance of the tent of meeting and presented to the priest as a peace offering. No one could sacrifice an animal in the field with a private ceremony, building their own altar of worship. Left to themselves, human beings will invent their own religion. God, who created heaven and earth, has made himself known as a holy God, and he has appointed one altar. This is a prophetic picture of the cross, where Jesus was appointed to be the once and for all sacrifice. The interjection of the command to not sacrifice to goat demons is a reminder of the ever-present danger of reverting to the idol worship of our neighbors. What are some of the idolatrous practices of our culture, and how do we abstain from them? Next we read about the sanctity of the blood in verse 11. For the life of the flesh is in the blood, and I have given it to you on the altar to make atonement for your souls, for it is the blood by reason of the life that makes atonement. That's from the New American Standard Bible. The eating or drinking of blood was forbidden. Why? The life of the flesh is in the blood in verse 11 and in verse 14. In the case of an animal its blood is identified with its life. In the sacrificial system, the animal is innocent, and its blood represents the sinless substitute. Notice that the Lord says that the shed blood represents the life of the God-given substitute. I have given it to you to make atonement for your souls. G. Campbell Morgan writes, quote, Redemption is only possible by blood. The writer of the letter to the Hebrews gathered up the whole message of the Levitical economy in the words, Apart from shedding of blood, there is no remission. In Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22, The shedding of blood is life given up. It is necessary to make this statement emphatically because it is now sometimes asked whether it is not permissible to say that we are saved by life rather than by blood, seeing that the old economy declared that the blood is the life. While that is perfectly true, it would still be utterly false to say that the teaching of Leviticus is that a man is saved by life. It teaches, rather, that he can only be saved by life given up, given up through suffering, not by blood, but by blood-shedding. The ancient symbolism was indeed awful and appalling, but the final weight of awe and horror ought to be that of the sin which made such symbolism necessary in order to teach its real meaning to God. There are those who speak of the doctrine of salvation by the shedding of blood as being objectionable and vulgar. The shedding of blood is objectionable. It is awful. It is dastardly. It is the ultimate expression of the activity of sin, and the whole meaning of the appalling truth is that sin in the universe touches the very life of God with wounding. We know the book of Leviticus is terrible reading. It is a tragic story of blood and fire. It is time that this living message was heard anew. That sin smites God in the face and wounds him in the heart, and that redemption is the outcome of the tender compassion which receives the wounding and bends over the sinner, pardoning him by virtue of that infinite and unfathomable mystery of which the shedding of blood is the only equivalent symbolism. End quote. That's from G. Campbell Morgan, Living Messages in the Bible. It is through the shedding of the blood of Jesus that we have redemption. In 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 and 19, we read, Knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things, like silver or gold, from your futile way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with precious blood, as of a lamb unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It is through the full atonement provided by the shed blood of Jesus Christ that we have forgiveness of sins. In Ephesians 1, 7, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace. It is through the blood of Christ that we can legally be pronounced righteous before a holy God. This is called justification in Romans 5.9, much more than, having now been justified by His blood, we shall be saved from the wrath of God through Him. Because we are justified through faith in Christ and His atoning blood, we now have peace with God in Romans 5.1. Without the shed blood of Christ, that would be impossible. In Colossians 1.19, For it was the Father's good pleasure for all the fullness to dwell in Him, and through Him to reconcile all things to Himself, having made peace through the blood of His cross. Through Him, I say, whether things on earth or things in heaven. Jesus is God. He knows what it takes to sanctify a sinner. In Hebrews 13.12, Therefore Jesus also, that He might sanctify the people through His own blood, suffered outside the gate. It is important to distinguish the difference between shed blood and spilled blood. The spilling implies an accident. The shed blood implies that the sacrifice is intentional. In this regard, Jesus said yes to the plan of redemption before the foundation of the world in Revelation 13.8. As I have traveled to various countries around the world, I have heard believers singing in their own languages, What can take away my sin? Nothing but the blood of Jesus. In chapter 18, we have the laws on immoral relations. You shall not do what is done in the land of Egypt where you lived, nor are you to do what is done in the land of Canaan where I am bringing you. You shall not walk in their statutes. In verse 3, the Lord makes clear, that the practice of sexual immorality was rampant and legalized in the written statutes of the surrounding nations. God's covenant people must not do as they do. What follows are the Lord's judgments regarding sexual morality. God does not want His created order in Genesis 2.24 pertaining to human sexuality to be violated. There is reference to uncovering the nakedness, which in some cases may merely refer to voyeurism such as in Genesis nine verses twenty two to twenty three, it is most often used as a euphemism for sexual relations. Incest, fornication, adultery, male and female homosexual activity, in Leviticus eighteen, verse twenty two, Leviticus twenty, verse thirteen, Romans chapter one, verse twenty seven, first Corinthians chapter six verse nine, are at odds with the creation ideal of heterosexual monogamy in Genesis chapter two verses 24-25. to G. Campbell Morgan comments, "...all the promiscuous intercourse between the sexes, which inevitably tends to disease and degeneracy, was contrary to the mind of God, because it was destructive to humanity. Therefore his people were safeguarded against those things by general command, and by detailed particularity of statement. In the interests of health and strength of national life, these enactments are still of force." To break them is to bring about inevitable deterioration and ultimate destruction. The principle involved in the words has much wider application. The people of God are called upon to conform in all the ways and habits of life, not to the customs of the world, but to the mind and will of God as made known in His law. The full force of this principle is found in Paul's injunction, "...be not fashioned according to this world." but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, quote. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. It is a requirement of which we need to remind ourselves constantly. It is so easy to be lured from our loyalty to the customs of men and the women by whom we are surrounded. Such requirement is not capricious. It is based upon God's loving purpose for His own and His determination to preserve them from all destructive practices, end quote page 39 from G. Campbell Morgan's Searchlights from the Word. The sexual immorality practiced in Egypt and Canaan defiled the land with destructive repercussions described in such vivid terms as causing, quote, the inhabitants being vomited out of the land, end quote, in Leviticus 18, verse 24. Now let's go to our New Testament reading from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 7, beginning with verse 24. And this is the incident with the Syrophoenician woman in describing the Syrophoenician woman's faith. Mark 7.24 And from there he arose and went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house, and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him, and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. AND SHE BEGGED HIM TO CAST THE DEMON OUT OF HER DAUGHTER. AND HE SAID TO HER, LET THE CHILDREN BE FED FIRST, FOR IT IS NOT RIGHT TO TAKE THE CHILDREN'S BREAD AND THROW IT TO THE DOGS. BUT SHE ANSWERED HIM, YES, LORD, YET EVEN THE DOGS UNDER THE TABLE EAT THE CHILDREN'S crumbs. AND HE SAID TO HER, FOR THIS STATEMENT YOU MAY GO YOUR WAY, THE DEMON HAS LEFT YOUR DAUGHTER. AND SHE WENT HOME AND FOUND THE CHILD LYING IN BED AND THE DEMON GONE. Then he returned from the region of Tyre, and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee, in the region of Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, "Ephphatha," that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear, and the mute speak. Chapter 8 Jesus feeds the four thousand. In those days, when again a great crowd had gathered, they had nothing to eat. And he directed the crowd to sit down on the ground. And he took the seven loaves, and having given thanks, he broke them, and gave them to his disciples to set before the people. And they set them before the crowd. And they had a few small fish. And having blessed them, he said that these also should be set before them. And they ate and were satisfied. And they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. And there were about four thousand people and he sent them away, and immediately he got into the boat with his disciples and went to the district of Dalmanutha. So let's spend a few moments reflecting upon these incidents. A Syrophoenician woman approaches Jesus with a petition that he heal her daughter, who is vexed by demons. Mark refers to her as a Syrophoenician, which speaks of the political alliance, which would be more recognizable by his Roman audience. She was a Greek born in Syrian Phoenicia. Matthew refers to her as a Canaanite woman in Matthew 15, verse 22. Jesus' response to her begging seems off-putting. Let the children be satisfied first, for it is not good to take the children's bread and throw it to dogs, in verse 27. Although Jesus was using the commonly used derogatory term for a Gentile, he was doing this to convict the Jews of their prejudicial sin and unbelief. He was creatively teaching that the Gentiles, who were considered dogs by the Jews, were more alert to God's provision of a Savior than those who had the God-given privilege of sitting with the provision of that salvation, staring them in the face. Jesus came first to the Jews in John chapter 1, verse 11. They were the people through whom He came. They were His own. The Apostle Paul said that the gospel was to the Jew first and then to the Gentiles in Romans chapter 1 verse 16. The blessing of salvation was intended for all nations, but Jesus was indicating God ordained that salvation would be first offered to the people with whom he had made a covenant. The Jews called the Gentiles dogs because they were unclean according to the Levitical laws of separation. Jesus did not use the term derogatorily, but in a way in which the woman could understand his point, as is evidenced in her response, Jesus uses the diminutive word for dogs, meaning puppies. The woman's response is one that demonstrates humility and faith. The woman knew why she was there. She was there for her daughter. She knew Jesus was her hope for her daughter's deliverance from the grip of oppression. Her hope was not in her credentials. She did not presume that she was first in line to receive God's favor. She was a Gentile. But she answered and said to him, Yes, Lord, but even the dogs under the table feed on the children's crumbs. She understands Jesus' parable. She knows that she is not given a seat at the table, but that there is enough on that table for every hungry soul in the entire world, and she needs deliverance for her daughter now. She demonstrates the humility of faith. She comes to Jesus submitting to His terms and not her own. And He said to her, Because of this answer, go. The demon has gone out of your daughter. In verse 29, Jesus was impressed with her answer. She seems to have understood the purpose of his mission better than the people of Israel. Tim Keller writes in his commentary on the Gospel of Mark, the King's Cross, saying, This woman saw the Gospel, that you're more wicked than you ever believed, but at the same time more loved and accepted than you ever dared to hope. On the one hand, she is not too proud to accept what the Gospel says about her unworthiness, She accepts Jesus' challenge. She does not get her back up and say, How dare you use a racial epithet about me? I don't have to stand for this. Can you hear yourself saying that? But on the other hand, neither does this woman insult God by being too discouraged to take up his offer. See, there are two ways to fail to let Jesus be your Savior. One is by being too proud, having a superiority complex, not to accept his challenge. But the other is through an inferiority complex, being so self-absorbed that you say, I'm just so awful that God couldn't love me. That is, not to accept His offer. One of the great prayers of the English language is the prayer of approach to the Lord's Supper, written by Thomas Cranmer in the first book of Common Prayer. It is based on this story in Mark, and over the centuries millions of people have prayed it. Quote, We do not presume to come to this your table, merciful Lord, trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies, we are not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but you are the same Lord whose property is always to have mercy. End quote. Every time anyone has ever prayed that prayer, Cranmer has been inviting them to step into this woman's shoes and approach Jesus boldly with rightless assertiveness, to take up both the offer and challenge of God's infinite mercy. End quote. The good news is that Jesus tells her on the spot because of this answer, go, the demon has gone out of your daughter, in verse 29. Jesus continues to demonstrate his authority by commanding deaf ears to be opened and mute tongues to be loosened, in verses 31 to 37. When Mark records the feeding of the four thousand with the miraculous multiplication of the seven loaves and a few fish, we learn that Jesus knew his audience. We are reminded that Jesus knew how long they had traveled how far they had come, and what would happen to some of them if they did not get something to eat, in Mark chapter 8, verse 3. Don't you think that he knows what you need, lest you faint? Now let's read from the book of Psalms. Today's psalm is Psalm 41, verses 1 through 13. And reading today's psalm
1: is Ben McAdam. Blessed is the one who considers the poor. In the day of trouble the Lord delivers him. The Lord protects him and keeps him alive. He is called blessed in the land. You do not give him up to the will of his enemies. The Lord sustains him on his sickbed. In his illness, you restore him to full health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me. Heal me, for I have sinned against you. My enemies say of me in malice, When will he die and his name perish? And when one comes to see me, he utters empty words, While his heart gathers iniquity. When he goes out, he tells it abroad. All who hate me whisper together about me. They imagine the worst for me. They say, a deadly thing is poured out on him. He will not rise again from where he lies. Even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted his heel against me. But you, O Lord, be gracious to me, and raise me up that I may repay them. By this I know that you delight in me, My enemy will not shout in triumph over me, but you have upheld me because of my integrity and set me in your presence forever. Blessed be the Lord, the God of Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Amen and amen. Amen and amen. Notice the promises
0: given to those who consider the helpless and have regard for the weak. The Lord delivers them in verse 1. The Lord will protect them and preserve their lives, in verse 2. The Lord will bless and defend them. The Lord will sustain them on their sickbed and restore them from their illnesses, in verse 3. How blessed is he who considers the helpless! The Lord will deliver him in the day of trouble. Psalm 41 is a celebration of God's mercy. God, in His infinite grace, can receive guilty sinners who know that their only hope is in the mercy that can receive us, in the righteousness of Christ. In verse 12, he upholds us in the integrity of the perfect finished work of redemption. In the Psalm, David speaks of his hardships and the anguish of having close friends betray him. He experiences the betrayal of his own son, Absalom, and his friend, Ahithophel. And through this immediate sorrow expressed in the Psalm, we see a prophetic connection with Jesus being betrayed by his disciple, Judas. In verse 9, even my close friend, in whom I trusted, who ate my bread, has lifted up his heel against me. Even in his adversity, the psalmist is confident that the Lord will be true to his word, and that he will uphold him according to his promise. And now our reading from the book of Proverbs, chapter 10, verses 15 and 16. A rich man's wealth is his strong city, the poverty of the poor is their ruin, the wage of the righteous leads to life the gain of the wicked to sin in romans chapter 6 verse 23 we learn that the wages of sin is death in proverbs ten fifteen, the wages of the righteous that is christ is life he offers both his righteousness and the reward of eternal life as a free gift let's pray our gracious god and father thank you for the revelation of your holiness your compassion, and your justice. We are undeserving of your favor, and yet through your merciful provision of our Savior, you have made us partakers of your incorruptible life, the life that he offered up for us. In remembrance of his outpoured life as he died for our sins, qualifying us to receive your Holy Spirit, we take the cup of redemption with thanksgiving and drink of it. We do not presume that we do this trusting in our own righteousness, but in your manifold and great mercies. We're not worthy so much as to gather up the crumbs under your table, but through faith in Christ Jesus, our atoning Passover Lamb and risen, exalted, glorified Lord and Savior, we meet you in mercy and rejoice at this table of fellowship. Thank you for the cleansing, enlightening, and faith-igniting impact of your word. Help us to live through you and bring forth the fruit of your indwelling presence today. In Jesus' name, amen. It's been a blessing to be reading the Word of God together with you today. And God willing, we'll be back tomorrow as we press on with the one-year Bible tour. I always like to remind you that we provide a free service, sending out a daily email with a written copy of our commentary on each day's reading with color maps, charts, and illustrations that folks find helpful. You can subscribe to this free email by going to our website, newlife.org. And you can always contact us by email, as our email address is podcast at newlife.org. We are happy to answer your questions, receive your feedback and comments, or learn more about how we can be praying for you. Also, you can help us in our mission to spread the Word of God through this podcast by indicating it's a blessing to you, subscribing wherever you get your podcasts, leaving a review, or giving us a like. We trust that the rest of your day be full of inspiration and that you will seize each moment as a gift from God and share the joy. May the grace of the Lord Jesus be with you
1: all. Shalom.